The following audio is from Pathway Community Church. More information about Pathway Community Church is available at www.pathwaycommunity-church.org. Our youngest son, Jacob, starts his senior year of high school tomorrow. It's hard to believe. It's like, wow, last, last one, last year in high school. And he's been looking uh, forward to this year for quite some time, uh, not just because it's his last year of, of uh, high school, which will be a good thing, but also because he uh, is a volleyball player and he's been looking forward to having a great year of volleyball and then hopefully getting a college scholarship. It's been exciting. He's been getting recruited and different coaches have been calling and talking to him and it's been just really fun to watch uh, that whole process unfold. Uh, but this past week he got some bad news. Uh, He was playing basketball, and uh, someone undercut him, and he came down wrong on his leg, and he hurt his knee, and so he goes in, he he gets an MRI, the doctor says, oh, it just looks like it's sprained, but they called me, the doctor didn't call him, they called me on Wednesday and said, yeah, I I hate to tell you this, but he tore his ACL. Yeah, that's what I felt like, too, and um, so I called him, and I said, hey, here's the deal, this this is the situation. You have a torn ACL, and they have to have surgery in September, and then it's a six-month recovery period, and so basically no sports for six months. Yeah, that was hard news for him to hear. Hard news for me to hear. But isn't, isn't life full of hills and valleys? I'm sure in your life you've got things that are difficult and things that are hard and and you've got things that are really encouraging and things that are good. That's why this morning we're starting a new series. It's called Hills and Valleys and we're going to be looking at the prophet Elijah. And I'm really excited for us because the prophet Elijah, his life was full of, of peaks and valleys, some highs and some lows. I mean, he, he was depressed He was discouraged. He was disappointed. But he also found great breakthroughs and great victories. And the reason he was able to go through those hills and valleys wasn't because of him, but because he found God to be ever-present and faithful. And so he trusted in him no matter what. And my hope and prayer is that as we go through this series over the next seven weeks, that, that we'll learn from Elijah's life and we'll learn how to trust God through the highs and lows of life, through the peaks and valleys that we face. And that God will help us as, as a church be a church that perseveres regardless. So if you would, open your Bible. We're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 17. That's where we, we start with uh, the story of Elijah and we learn about him. And so 1 Kings, it's about you know a, a quarter of the way into the Old Testament. So we're going uh, back into the Old Testament. We're going to be in 1 Kings and then into 2 Kings for the next seven weeks. In 1 Kings 17, we are introduced to the prophet Elijah. And we're going to look at the first seven verses only this morning here in 1 Kings. And and what we're going to see is that in these seven verses, God trains him. God prepares him. 
so that he can face the challenges and the, and the successes that are to come. That we're going to see how God takes him through this training ground. And, and he wants to do the same in your life and mine. He wants to train us. He wants to equip us. He wants to prepare us so that we're able to face the hard times and the good times in life. And so there's three things we're going to see here. The prophetic word that Elijah speaks, the training program that Elijah goes through, and the pop quiz that Elijah faces. That's where we're going today. So I'm not actually going to read it. I'm just going to teach through it. So I've, you can stand the entire time if you want. That's fine too. But I'm not going to read this, these verses yet. I'm just going to walk through the, the verses together in the sermon. So uh, the, let's jump in here. Verse 1, the prophetic word. Look at verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Let's just stop there a moment. Who was Elijah exactly? Elijah. His name in Hebrew means Yahweh is God. Can you imagine having your name mean Yahweh is God? I mean, imagine, imagine every time someone says your name, they're declaring that Yahweh is the one true God. I mean, I can't even imagine what it was like in his home growing up. And his mom says, hey, Elijah, go clean your room. Hey, one true God, go clean your room up. I mean, that'd be a tough way to have a child who's named Yahweh is God. But wherever he went, whatever he did, he was a constant reminder that Yahweh is the one true God. It says, Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead. Now, historians have no idea where Tishbe is. So don't go and try to look it up and say, hey, where is that on the map? You're not going to find it. We don't know. But he was born in Tishbe. He's a Tishbite. But he lived, he grew up in Gilead. Gilead, we do know, is, is located east of the Jordan River. It's, it's in the, the, the track of land that there were 12 tribes and God distributed land to each of the 12 tribes. Well, the tribe of Gad got land east of the Jordan River and Gilead is a city in Gad. You're like, oh, okay, that's great news. He was from Gilead. He was from the tribe of Gad. Gilead was a dry desert land, arid, hot, dry, desert, nothingness. It was not urban. It was very rural. It's full of uneducated people, most likely. People didn't go to school there. They didn't have a lot of education there. In fact, you might even say they were like a bunch of hillbillies. Elijah was a redneck. A hillbilly. That's what he was like. From nowhere. And do you know God still does that today to us? He calls nobodies. He calls people from all walks of life. From all different circumstances. He calls them. And he says, I want you to come and I want you to follow me. I want you to put your faith in me, Jesus says. And when you do that, he gives us a new name. He gives us the name Christian. And he says, wherever you go, whatever you do, I want you to have that name. I want people to know you by that name so that you put the name of Jesus on display. 
God still does that today. He still calls people to follow him. And, and, and so here is Elijah. He calls Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead to go to King Ahab to tell him something. Now, who is this King Ahab, right? Well, he's the seventh king of Israel under the divided kingdom. I'm not going to give you a big history lesson here, but, but Israel was united as one. The first king was Saul. The second king was David. The third king was David's son Solomon. Then under Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, it became a divided kingdom. There was a civil war. And you have the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. That's all we're going to do today. So that's enough of the history lesson. King Ahab is the seventh king from the northern kingdom, the divided kingdom of Israel. That's what you need to know. Now, notice what it says back in 1 Kings 16. So if you back up to the chapter just before this and look at verse 30, it describes what Ahab is like. You're going to want to take note of this. In in 1 Kings 16, 30, it says, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. He's the seventh king of the northern kingdom. The other six kings, if you were going to go back, and we're not going to do this now, but if you could go back and read about those other kings, and you're going to see the evil. I mean, they did evil things. God says, follow me, and they're like, no, I'm going to, we're going to follow these other gods. We're going to do these other, we're, going to, we're not going to obey you, we're not going to live for you, we're going to do what we want, we're going to do it our way. It says, King Ahab did more evil than all the kings that came before him combined. Can I just say, you don't want that to be written about you and what you're remembered for in your life. But that's what King Ahab is known for. One of the things you need to know about Ahab is that he started to worship the god Baal. Small g. There's one true god. Yahweh is his name. But Baal was a constant thorn in Israel's flesh. Baal is, is this God, he's, he's really the God of, in this pantheon of gods, he's like the top dog God in terms of, you know, the different gods that they believed in. And, and Baal was the God of rain, right? And rain was important. If you've ever been to the Middle East or heard about the Middle East, like it is dry, it is arid, you need water, and rain is essential for life. And Baal, they said, they believed, Falsely, but they believed he is the rain god, the storm god. And so in order to get it to rain, in order, hey, it's been dry. It's, you know, there's no water. We need rain. We need, you know, here's the thing. When it rained, then it made your, it made plants grow. It made crops grow. And when they grew, then you were able to, to eat and live. But you're also able to harvest those. And you're able to have more resources. And you're able to prosper. And you have, have more money. So rain means prosperity. And so they offer sacrifices to Baal to get it to rain so they can have more prosperity and more resources because of the abundance that comes from the rain. Sometimes they got so desperate for this that they'd actually sacrifice their children to Baal in order to try to coerce Baal to do what they want so they can get what they want. Can you believe people would do that? So King Ahab, he's a Baal worshiper. 
He marries a woman, Jezebel, who is, is not uh, Jewish. She doesn't believe in the one true God. And she introduces this Baal worship. And, and then things just unfold from there. And so Elijah comes to the palace. God raises up Elijah and says, I want you to go to King Ahab. And I want you to tell him something. This man who is who's worshiping Baal. And so he goes to him. And he, and he declares... What's going to happen? He says, there's going to be an extended drought. It's not going to rain. And he doesn't just say for days or months, but he says it's not going to rain for years. And it's not going to stop raining until I say so. Because God has told me this. God has revealed this to me. And this is what's going to happen. Like, like he's, he's basically throwing down the God. He's like, we got war, right? There's war now between Yahweh, the one true God, and Baal. And we're going to find out which one really provides the rain. Right? We're going to see who really is in control of the resources. He's really saying, hey, the war has started. This is life and death. Who are you going to trust in? And we're going to find out in the coming weeks who really is in control of the rain. Is it Yahweh, or is it Baal? And so he stands there in the palace declaring to the most powerful man in the kingdom, God is the one who told me what's going to happen, and it's not going to rain for years at my command. I can imagine Elijah, you know, he's, God's raised him up as, as a prophet. And, w- and what do prophets do? Prophets preach. Prophets proclaim. They, they proclaim what God's given them to say. And, and God's given him something to say. And, and, and it's a word of, of judgment. It's a word of, uh, of warning. It's saying, listen, here's, here's what's coming. The drought's coming. It's going to happen. It's like, you know, you better prepare for this. You better get ready for it. I mean, I can imagine Elijah wants to go out in the streets and start telling people, like, let's get on, let's get on Facebook. Let's start getting on the social media and telling people, hey, drought's coming. You better get ready for this. Like, drought's coming. I mean, that's what prophets do. They prophesy. And so he's probably like, I got to get out there and do that. But God had something else in mind for him. Like, no, you, you, you announced this to the king, and now I, I, I've got other plans. Look, look what happens next. God's training program. Look at verse 2. It says, And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Kareth, that is east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Before I came to Pathway, God had me serving at a church in Hinsdale. I was the associate pastor of uh, nurture and outreach at Hinsdale at this church there. And, and being an associate pastor can be difficult because every, every now and then you think, you know what, I can do things just a little bit better than the senior pastor. You know, I can do, I, I can do, because, you know, it's like, you know, it's easy when you're not at the point person. And so you sit back and like, well, I, I think I could do that a little bit better. I, I think I'd handle that situation just a little bit better. Or I think I could preach just a little bit better. I mean, that happens as an associate pastor. Jason doesn't do that, but you know, it, it does happen. And, um, and so I fell into that pattern. 
And it was a hard place to be. It was a difficult situation in the church. And, and I started thinking, you know, I could, I could do things better. And, and then in the midst of that, God called me. I got a call from a Gary Rohrmeyer who works with Converge Mid-America. He said, hey, you know, I was wondering if you've ever thought about church planting. And through my experience in missions and seeing God at work around the world in churches, I'm like, yeah, I've, I've thought a lot about it. And he's like, well, I'd like you to think about being a church planter. And I'm like, that doesn't sound so bad. Anyhow, long story short, we went through an assessment process, and, and Jennifer was opposed to it, and God changed her heart. And the next thing you know, we got the green light to go church, plant a church, and we're like, God, where do you want us to go? And it's like right here in Elmhurst, and we're like, we're ready. We're ready. Let's get out of this church, and let's go do it. We know how to do church. Like, we're, you know, the world hasn't seen church like we're going to do it. And, man, we're ready to go do it. And then God says, but, you know, I'm not ready, to, I'm not ready for you to go. I'm like, What? You, you just called me to this. For, for two and a half more years, the Lord said, I want you to stay here and serve. I'm like, what? So I did that. Took some classes at Northern Seminary, got some more training. But you know what the biggest thing the Lord did during those two years? Is he humbled my heart. Because see, when he first called me to go, it's like, man, I, I, I know how to do church. Like, no one knows how to do church like I know how to do church. But after the Lord humbled me and took me through his training program, it's like, okay, Lord, only you can build your church. And it's not going to happen by me at all. I'm just going to show up and do what he tells me to do. And then, finally, the Lord said, okay, it's time to go. You know, that's what God was doing with Elijah. And that's what God wants to do in your life and continue to do in mine. He wants to train us. He wants to train you. He wants to train me so that we can go through the hills and the valleys that we face, through the successes and through the, the, the great losses and defeats. He wants to train us to trust him through each one of those things. Not to say, hey, look how great I am because of the success, or not to throw in the towel because it's so difficult. The Lord wants to train you, and he wants to train me for this. And that's what he's doing in Elijah. Look at this. And you're saying, well, how does he get all that from this, right? Well, let me show you. Look, look at the passage. Notice four times in verses 2 through 5, it says, God called him to go east. He was in Israel, in the northern part of Israel, and God called him to go east across the Jordan River to the other side, back to the area, maybe where he was even from, where he lived in Gad, but to go into the wilderness. East of the Jordan is the wilderness. Now, when we think wilderness, we think like dense trees and forest. The wilderness in, in the Middle East is complete desert barrenness, nothingness. It is dry. It is desert. It is hot. There is nothing there. You can't live there very long without help. And so he says four times, he says, I want to call you into the wilderness. I'm taking you into the wilderness. Will you come? Depart. Now see, in the Bible, the wilderness is the place God takes people to train them. That's what he does throughout scripture. Where did he take the Israelites for 40 years? 
in the wilderness to train them, to depend on him, to trust him, to live by faith in him. He did this with Joshua. Before he becomes a leader, he takes him to Saul, the apostle. Paul used to be Saul. He killed Christians. He becomes Paul through, a, through an encounter with Jesus Christ. His life is dramatically changed. But before he can go and be used by God, three years, it tells us in the book of Galatians, the letter to the Galatian church, that God took him into the desert in Arabia to train him. He took him into the wilderness. Think about Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. Where does he go for 40 days to learn to depend not on his own flesh, but to depend upon his Father to provide? He goes into the wilderness, and he's tempted. He learns how to obey. He's taught. His flesh is trained to obey. And God calls Elijah. He goes, he says, come into the desert. Come into the wilderness. Come into my training program. He's like, wait, but you called me to be a prophet. I'm ready to go speak. And he's like, nope, you got to learn. So God calls him to go and he trains him there. And he teaches him two things that I see from the text. Let me show you what they are. First, he wants him to learn that God alone is his protector. How do I know that he wants to teach him that? Well, notice what it says. He says, depart from me here and turn eastward. And look at this. Underline this word. And hide yourself by the brook Kareth. The word hide is the word to shelter, to seek protection, to seek refuge. Right? So God tells Elijah to go into this wilderness and to hide out by himself to learn how to trust God. Now, God's doing this, first of all, to protect him from Ahab. Because King Ahab now is not happy about the news that was just told him that there's going to be drought for years and it's going to kill a lot of people. And so Ahab is not happy with Elijah. And, and he's trying to hunt him down. I, I, we're going to see that. But, but, but also, he wants him to go and hide himself because, you know what? The only place that you can really learn that God is in control and that God is the one who protects us and is our refuges and strength is when you are alone by yourself, quiet before the Lord. No distractions. No cell phone. No, no iPad. No TV, radio. Learning to hide yourself away, a hiding place, a place where you go, a quiet place, a secret place where you can go and learn to trust God as your protector, as your refuge, as your strength. Doesn't happen any other way. One of the hardest things for us to do, church, is to get alone by ourselves where it's quiet, free of distractions, just to be with the Lord. When was the last time you were able just to get alone in quiet, free of distractions, free of your cell phone, and just to sit in quiet and solitude before the Lord and just listen and, and wait and talk to the Lord? When was the last time you were able to do that?
The Lord takes Elijah into his training program because he wants to teach him that God is your protector. He is your refuge and your strength. He is your shelter. He is the one you run to and turn to when life is difficult. And he's, and he's like, here's what I want you to learn. And he wants to teach us the exact same thing. Did you know Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God, right? Can we agree on that? Jesus is God in the flesh. And Jesus, it says in the Gospels, withdrew on on regular occasions. He went off to a, a quiet place, to a secret place, to spend time with his Father so that he could be encouraged and refreshed and renewed so he could go back and have something to give for ministry. Jesus needed to do this. God taught Elijah to do this. How much more do we need to learn to do this? Do you have a a hiding place that you go to be with the Lord? Do you have a secret place, a quiet place, a place free from distraction? You have a place where you're like, you know what, this is, this is just where I meet with the Lord. Just, I open my Bible, there's no cell phone there, and I just listen to the Lord, and I, and I learn how to commune with the Lord. Listen, the Lord still wants to train His people to do this, to trust Him that He alone is the provider. That's why He says you know, to, to, to find a, a place to pray that's, that's in secret, to go into a, a place that's, that's free from people and just find a, a secret place to pray. Listen to me. In order to endure the hills and valleys in our lives, we need to learn to do this. The hills and valleys, the highs and lows, the difficulties and successes. We have to learn to go and find refuge in our Lord and strength in our Lord. So when those things come, we are prepared for them. To hide ourselves in Him. Here's the second thing God wants to teach Him, and, and I believe He wants us to learn, is that God is His provider. He wants them to learn God is His protector, but also that God is His Say it with me. This is, this is fantastic. Look, it says, he tells them to go east past the Jordan by the brook Kareth, and you will drink from the brook, and I will feed you. Check this out. This is great. You're going to love it. Check it. I'm going to feed you each day bread and meat from the ravens. This is not like Aesop's fable, right? This is, oh man, this is like a, you know, some kind of make-believe story. No, he's like, I want you to go into the wilderness. The wilderness is nothingness. And there's going to be a brook there. It's a wadi. It's called the Wadi Kareth. And water's going to be flowing from that. And you're going to drink out of that wadi. And then I'm also going to bring ravens to you every morning and every evening. And they're going to bring bread to you. And they're going to bring meat to you. And I'm going to provide for you. Like DoorDash has nothing. Listen, how long would it take you to learn, if you're in that situation, that God alone is your provider? There's no rain. There's no water for miles, but there's a brook right here, and there's birds that keep flying, bringing me food to eat. I wonder who's providing that. It's God. God wants us to learn the same lesson, that He alone is the one who provides. 
Jesus said, why do you worry? Why do you worry about what you're going to eat? What you're going to wear? How are you going to pay your next bill? Why do you get so stressed out and anxious about stuff in life? Why do you get so worked up and so tied in knots and so full of anxiety? Why, why do you worry? I mean, look at, look, at the, look at the flowers of the field. Take time today if you have some time, right? And just like look at the flowers. How beautiful they are and, and how God like, you know, provides exactly what they need for them to look beautiful and to be clothed in beauty. I, I mean, just take some time and look at, look at the birds of the air and how the birds always seem to have food to eat. Like, just check it out sometime. Like, you know, go on a nature walk. I hear, you know, we got some time outside because COVID's going on. And like, go for a walk and like, look at the the flowers and look at the birds. And like, look how God provides and clothes them and gives them everything. And he's like, how much more for his children does he want to clothe you and provide for you so you don't have to worry about it? What's to train us to trust him, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and he's going to take care of everything else. But that takes faith. It takes training. It doesn't just happen like, okay, I'm following Jesus now, no problems. God wants to train us to trust him as the protector and provider of our lives. Why do we need that? Like, why, 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 why do we need that? Well, here, here's the, look at the last thing we see in this verse 7. It's the last thing. And initially I was like, what's this verse here for? Because this, I don't kind of like that verse. I, I, I was thinking about just stopping at verse 6. No, I can't though. So I'm, I'm, we're going to look at verse 7. He says, look. You, you, God gives Elijah a pop quiz. You remember pop quizzes in school, right? Some of you in school, you're like, okay, here's how it works. You know, you come into the classroom, teacher comes in, everybody's, hey, take everything off your desk, right? Everything, put it on the floor, put a piece of paper, pencil, pen, whatever you need, you know, and and we're going to have a pop quiz. You're like, what? Well, you didn't tell us about this pop quiz. You're like, yeah, that's the purpose, right? It's it's a surprise. And so I want to know how much you've learned. So you take the pop quiz and you find out, like, did, did, do I really know, do I know what, what, what I've learned? And, you know, that's what's going on here, I think. There's a, there's a pop quiz. Now, I don't want to minimize it. Like, pop quiz sounds so, oh, that's innocuous, right? But pop quizzes are hard. Pop quizzes are hard. So look what happens. Verse 7. He's in the training program. He's learning that God is his provider. God is his protector. And then all of a sudden, guess what? The brook dried up. The ravens, I'm guessing, stopped coming. Like that stream of water, that that water, like he's watching that thing every day because it's dry. And and then it starts to get smaller and smaller. and, And then it's just a little trickle. And then the next thing you know, it's gone. 
what am I going to do for water? What am I going to do for water? He's been learning to trust God. He's been learning to trust God as his, you say it with me, provider. Does he believe it? Does he believe it? Well, we're going to find out, right, in this, in this pop quiz that comes into his life. The brook is dry, no more water, no more ravens. What are you going to do? Has that ever happened to you in your life? Hey, one time, like, man, I was so happy. My bank account, it was full. Full bank account. Man, I was so, so, uh, just business was booming. Life was so good. I mean, just growing and expanding. And, wow, ministry, ministry was just happening. And people were coming to Jesus. And life was just, man, it was just rocking. I I mean, I... Married this woman, we had kids, life was so great. And then guess what? Guess what? Guess what happened? And then the brook dries up. You had good health for years, but then you got sick. The brook dried up. You had a great job and finances were good and and now you're laid off and, and the brook is dried up. After praying, you know, God, would you give me children? Would you provide children? And, and God provides children for you. And then your children grow up and they become rebellious and they turn away from you and they don't follow God. And then you're like, the brook has dried up. You get married, you're so happy. I mean, like, wow, we're just so happy. And, and then all of a sudden, something happens and you wake up and it's like, man, who did I marry? The brook is dried up. Listen, I've had times like this. I mean, it's just not all like uh, rainbows and unicorns being a pastor. Right? I mean, so, you know, I'm preaching every week to you, and I'm preaching the truth of God's word and the promises of God's word. But there are seasons, and there have been times when it's like, man, the brook has dried up, and I'm having a hard time with this. Listen, God brings pop quizzes into your life and mine to put into practice the things we learned in training. So can you see why training is important? Because if you're not spending time alone with the Lord and quiet, and you're not listening to Him and hearing from Him, and you're not learning to trust Him as your protector and and as your provider, then when the pop quizzes come, you're not going to make it. This is why James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, it says this. It's a, James, is, it's, he's talking about all this. He says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of different kinds, for you know the testing of your faith. There it is. The pop quizzes of your, for your faith produce steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. 
See, what it's saying is, is basically the same thing we're looking at Elijah, that God uses the trials that we face in life to mature our faith in him so that we can endure regardless of what might come into our life. Now, here's the thing. When you face trials, you can either become, maybe you've heard this before, bitter and resentful of God, or we can become better and become like the people God's created us to be. And this is why we need training time. This is why we need time to be quiet and to hide ourselves and to learn to trust him for who he is. And so just quickly, two lessons that come to mind as I consider the brook drying up and just what's happening in Elijah's life and why this happens in ours. First is this, the God who gives water can also withhold water. That's his sovereign right. He's God and we're not. That's a hard one. He's God and we're not. But God, you gave me this good gift. But God, you gave me this good ministry. God, you gave me this good spouse. God, you gave me this good job. God, you gave me this good thing. And, and God, that, that's a gift from you. God, you gave me this good ministry. God, I mean, like, how can you, you can't, you have no right to take that away from me now. How can you do that to me? God is God, and we're not, and he's more concerned with our character development than he is with our comfort. Yes, he cares for us. Yes, he loves you. Yes, he loves you. Yes, he loves you. But he's more concerned with transforming your character into the, the likeness of Jesus so that you trust him no matter what comes your way than he is about making you feel good and be fat and happy the rest of your life. And even in the hard places and the difficult places, listen, even in those, if we trust him, he promises to work it out for our good and for his glory. Here's the second thing, right? The second thing is the the dried up brook was the direct result of his own prayer. What? He prayed for this? Yeah, look over at James in chapter 5. The book of James, it says in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 17 to 19, Elijah was a man like us. Like us. That's why we're looking at this series. He's just like us. Same struggles, same nature, same difficulties, same challenges. He's a man just like us. And he prayed. He prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed, and it started to rain again. What? Now, it's not because he's so great. It's because of the God that he serves so great, and because he knows that God, and he's learned to depend on that God and trust that God, and he knows what God's will is, and so when he prays it, God does it. And so he's praying, and he prays for this, because God put that on his heart to pray, and he prays, and the brook dries up, and it's like, wait a sec, the, the very thing I prayed for, and now I'm experiencing it. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> Maybe a few of you, I think, I see you smiling, but um, man, it has for me. You know, God provides a spouse, 
God provide a spouse. God provide a, a godly man or woman. God provide a child. God provide a job. God, would you make me more patient? God, would you make me more loving? God, would you make me like, a, like you, a man after your own heart? God, would you? I mean, have you ever prayed anything like that? And God hears your prayer. And then you kind of move on and forget about that prayer. But God's like, no, I'm still, I'm still about that prayer. I'm still about that prayer. Like, like you prayed for patience and you prayed to be a, a godly man or woman like me. And, and I'm working that out in you. And, and it's hard and the brook is dried up. Not because I've abandoned you, but because I'm for you. And so how do we make it when we face pop quizzes? How do we endure? Well, we put our hope in the one who's better than Elijah. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, the author of Hebrews says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, who's been tested in every way, and yet is without sin. That's Jesus. Jesus came near to us. And was tempted and tested in every way. There's not a way that you're enduring that he has not been tested. And he came near and yet he didn't give in to sin. And, and so as a result it says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. To receive the mercy and the grace that we need in our time of need. You're in a trial, you're in a test, you're in a hard place today. The, the invitation from the Lord is to draw near to me. To draw near to me. To give you all the grace and mercy you need. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for your abundant grace. For your abundant mercy. Your, just, Lord, you're just offering your abundant grace and mercy. You're, you're offering us what we need today. Everything we need, you're offering us, Lord, for the situation we're in. And Lord, would you just help us? Would you help us not to be angry with you, not to be bitter towards you, not to be resentful and, and, and ticked off with you, but instead would you, would you help us to, to believe that you are good, that you're for us, so that we would draw near to you for the grace and mercy we so desperately need today. Would you help us to do that? In Jesus' name, amen.